everyone, this is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs. We are talking Manhattan. We got a good one for you today. This is a live podcast. We got Ryan Serhant, power broker, million dollar listing star from Nest Seekers. We got Jason Haber of Warburg Realty. We got Neil Garfinkel, Revenue General Counsel. You do not want to miss this one. It's got a lot of great tidbits. We're going to start out right out with what's going on in the Manhattan markets right now. Let's begin with Ryan and get right into it. the biggest issue that we're running into across all price points like we've got properties that are under a million that are sitting we've got properties that are over 10 million that are sitting I don't think it is um, uh, kind of segregated to any one individual price point anymore and it's not even just being the cheapest thing on the block you know we have properties in the city now that are so cheap that are cheaper than any comps out there that are still sitting there. Active comps, you mean? Active comps, yeah, active comps and sold comps. Um, I think that there's a general unease in the marketplace to move forward, and we've seen this before. Like, I don't think it's a weird thing. I think it just is what it is. Um, And I think buyers will come back to pulling the trigger relatively pretty quickly, and we've seen that before too, and all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, the market's back, it's strong. Uh, But we all kind of have to buckle down and bear with it and make smart decisions and work with our clients to excite them if they're buyers that this is an amazing time to purchase real estate um, and work with our sellers through their through whatever situation they might be in. And I think we're gonna see a lot of inventory come off the market because sellers are going to decide not to sell. Right. Um, and we'll see a lot of new comps being set that are not great uh, because there's a lot of sellers out there who really need to sell. And then once that kind of levels out, we'll go back to, you know, we'll go back to a market that I honestly uh, didn't like as much, which is more like this. And then you have people who are really difficult. Yeah. You know, I kind of appreciate, I don't know what you guys think, I appreciate the market that we're in now. I get to walk around with buyers and say, you get to actually buy something you like, and you get to get a great deal, and you get to negotiate, and it won't be gone tomorrow. Right. Like, that's great. On the flip side, the seller conversation is not so great, but it's it's always, you know, it's always going to be something. I, yeah. I feel like buyers, um, they, they pull the trigger when the, the leverage is not in their favor. So like in 2013, 2014, 2015, kind of the golden years, that, that, yeah. tougher, that tougher market that you're saying where we're rising like that, they were pulling the trigger left and right, right? Oh, I'm sorry, we're gonna, we're gonna speak up a little bit. Uh, I was basically saying how buyers, uh, they do not pull the trigger in, in weak markets, even though they have the leverage, right? Buyers have options, they have negotiability, they have one-on-one discussions right now. In 2013, 2014, and 2015, they did not have that. They had no options, there was bidding wars left and right, yet buyers were pulling the trigger. So why are buyers not pulling the trigger today? I mean, any thoughts on that? People want what other people want. Like you always want what you can't have across the board. It's too available, just like dating. Then you're like, man, I don't know if I want that. I'm gonna keep shopping. Um, and it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't change. So when the market is tight and there's not a lot of inventory, people overpay. People actually feel good about it. Right. Like people like spending money. Um, and it's just, it's so, but it's hard if they're seeing over and over the same listings with price reductions, 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 because then there's no urgency. And then interest rates are too low. And you know the interest rate conversation is a whole separate one, but I and I don't know what, what you think, but I, you know, low interest rates since 2008 presents absolutely no urgency for anyone to do anything. What am I supposed to say? Oh, interest rates are low. Lock in your rate. Okay, great, but they're going lower. Yeah. <laughs> people are nervous about next year. You know, we need things to push people to move forward, to expand their life, to do more, and 
and that's just not happening right now. For all the reasons that Ryan just said, there's, there's this battle going on between buyers and sellers that reminds me a lot of, if you've seen The Godfather, there's a scene where Clemenza says that the, the wars between families are good because it gets rid of all the bad blood. And that's sort of what's happening right now, except the market looks a lot like Sunny on the Causeway. <laughs> and that's sort of what a lot of people who haven't seen The Godfather are like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, bloody, very bloody. Very bloody. <laughs> and so that's what we're seeing out there right now, is this disconnect between sellers that say things, I'm sure they say it to Ryan, they say it to me, I'm not giving it away. Yeah. Right? And then you have buyers that they all want a trophy right now because they think they want to get the deal of a lifetime. Yeah. And you have that you have that disconnect and struggle between the two. Right. But just, just to follow up on your metaphor, so at the end of the day, right, we have Sonny lying there dead, right? But at the end of the day, someone's walking away with a cannoli. What's the right. what's that cannoli in this market? What are you walking away with? It's a good sign. No, I mean listen, historically, if you buy when the market is down, you win. Right? You can never, the problem is everyone wants to be the guy or girl who buys at the very, 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 very bottom, right? So you have buyers out there who say, I'm not buying right now. Are you crazy? The market's going down. And then when the market starts to come up, they say, I'm not buying now. Are you crazy? The market's going back up. So you can't time it perfectly. It is impossible. No matter how smart you are, no matter what hedge fund you work at, no matter how many fancy degrees you have, you cannot time the very bottom. But yeah. just know if you buy during that period, you're going to do fine. Yeah. Now, I could speak from personal experience. I, I just uh, sold and bought a house. Uh, I hadn't sold a house or bought a house in 20 plus years. But uh, we priced it right, so we, we sold. Uh, we live in Great Neck. And the, the place that we bought had 140 units, a gated community. There were two for sale. One was really, we overpaid, but I wanted it. So we, I knew I was overpaying, but <laughs> right. there was nothing else there. So it's interesting because it also, there was lots of inventory other places, but this is where we wanted to live. So, right. Uh, right. But we also were able to sell in a marketplace where there's a lot of inventory right now because we, we were ready to sell. Yeah, and I mean, you know, outside of just basic need, um, you know, those buyers out there that are saying, I'm waiting for the market to come down a little more to pull the trigger, I mean, why don't we just tell them to just, all right, bid 5% lower, bid 10% lower, you know? Yep. Can you guys hear me now? Okay, sorry. If you heard the other microphone I tried, you would know why I'm not using a microphone. Um, basically, what I'm saying here is that um, buyers right now are, are they're, they're scared, right? They don't want to buy a depreciating asset, and they think the market's going down. And this market is driven by perception. It's driven by the buyers. It's all about the bids. It's all about the buyers. They make our marketplace. And if the buyer sees confusion and cloudiness and unaffordability because of all the recent policy changes, they may sit there and wait because they think the market's going to fall 5% or 10%. Et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm here to say that the market already fell, right? Would you guys agree with that? We already have come down. Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah. And how much we have come down is really dependent upon what price point you're in and what sector you're in. For example, the new development condo sector is down a lot more than the sub-1 million co-op sector. And you guys are probably seeing that right now. And if you look at a 10 million plus super luxury, you're seeing some 30, 35% discounts from, from the peak in 2015 in that sector. That is not what's going on in the sub-1 million dollar co-op sector, right? That sector is only down maybe 8 to 10%. So my point is, is that if you have a buyer and that buyer is saying, well, wait a second, I, I think the market's going down. If you find a place you like, you gotta just have a conversation with them that Jason's saying, you're not gonna pick this bottom of the market. Price in that 5% into your bid and see what that seller reacts with. You wouldn't be surprised what a seller's gonna do in an illiquid market when they need to move property. You know what I'm saying? Which is awesome. It, it, like the deals that we do right now are 
are ridiculous. They include, you know, and you see in a lot of the buildings we sell, five years of common charges paid for. We'll pay transfer tax, mansion tax, mortgage recording tax. We'll pay your move-in fees. I'll take you to dinner. Like it, they, they include a lot of things because you can get it. You know, what we have to tell people too, like if you aren't buying a home right now because you think the market is going to be even worse tomorrow, that's like, you know, there's a great quote. It's like, that's like not buying a convertible today because you think it's going to rain tomorrow. Right. Right? Like if you're that type of person, um, then there's 8 billion people on this planet and I don't need to hang out with you. Um, so it's, it's showing people that there are a lot of great opportunities and to go and get the deal. But like what you just said about how come people won't just make those offers, I know the two of us, like it is the most frustrating thing to deal Absolutely. with. And every seller comes to us and they're all super angry. Like, why don't you just get an offer? Make an offer. Just get an offer. You showed Come it 15 on. times. Where's, where's the offer? Even if it's half off, people just won't, people won't do it because they're nervous about what you're saying. They're yeah. like, well, even if I offer 50% off, maybe that'll be market next year and I can get it for an even better price. And I'm <laughs> gonna stay in my rent-stabilized one bedroom because I'm a New Yorker and I negotiate the price of a bagel. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what we have to deal with. So then it becomes, that's so hard. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Well, it's never easy. And, and one thing I think that's making it harder is the recent rent regulations that just passed. That kind of, in my opinion, is killing the multifamily market. You guys probably have heard about this. Um, I'm going to switch this over to Neil. I want to talk about the recent rent regulations from from a legal perspective and who you think that's affecting the most. Wow. Um, nice and easy. A, I mean, it's affecting everyone. So, you know, my view is when when legislators pass a law. Um, you want to try to do a couple of things. You want to have a nice, concise, clear bill, uh, which everyone understands. You want to have buy-in from lots of parties. You want to have minimize unintended consequences. Uh, you want to hear what the, you don't want to do it for optics. You want to do it because it really helps people. Uh, this new rent regulation did not meet any of those criteria as far as I'm concerned. Um, and to, to, it's so ideal primarily, I'm, I'm broker counsel to Rebney. I host a legal hotline every day for Rebney members. Usually we answer, like, let's say, six to 10 phone calls a day from Rebney members, about 200 calls a month. In the month of July, we answered 600 calls, 400 of which were directly related to the rent regulations. It, is, it started to wane a little bit, but it has caused mass confusion. Does it apply to brokers? How does it apply to brokers? Um, and then we deal with it um, from the perspective of of the, the owner, the tenant owners are freaking out. I mean, this law um, has, is potentially um, very detrimental to, to the owner, the individual owner. Uh, it limits the, the amount that you can collect if you, don't, uh, if you don't get paid for the month. It limits the amount that, that you, can, um, you can collect if you have to bring a tenant to court. Now, I'm all in favor of, of laws that protect the tenant. I do believe that we have an affordable housing crisis in New York, so I think we have to address it, but there's a better way to address it than this. Right, and, and there's, a, there's a, a, a trickle effect with this whole law. I mean, just, just think about this for a second, guys. If you were an investor, right, and you're looking at any kind of cap rate analysis right now, and you're looking at a place that needs a renovation, a multifamily that needs a reservation, you are not gonna be able to raise the rent to get that that investment back from your renovation. So you got all these, this is correct, right? Yeah. Well, the IAIs. Oh, right, okay, so, so, so you got all of these um, owners that would have put improvements into the place that the tenant probably would have benefited from and then maybe rent, raised their rent by $200 or $300. Now they're capped out at 2% or whatever it happens to be. So there's no incentive for the owner to do this. That impacts other industries. That impacts the construction industry. 
It impacts the contractors industry, the architect industry. So we're starting to see the ripple effect, right? And I'm bringing this up because Jason, you're connected, right? And this is what I really want to hear. You're connected to the New York State Legislature and all that kind of stuff. So piggybacking on the recent rent regulations, is it possible some of this gets rolled back? Well, I mean, maybe. So just by full disclosure, so I'm a member of the of the Democratic State Committee. I'm a Democratic district leader, and I'll be a you know a delegate to the convention and, uh, next year. So so I know a lot of the, the elected officials. And um, so there are two schools of thought right now in Albany. First of all, you're hearing a lot of things about what may happen or bills that are being introduced. Just so everyone understands, there is no fall session. Session doesn't start until January, so anything right now is is just posturing. Nothing will happen until January. But there are two schools of thought. School one is that um, this went too far and that there should be things like the security deposit should be revisited, um, prepaying rent should be revisited, um, maybe even an adjustments on the IAIs or MCIs potentially. Um, but there's another school of thought out there that says you should kick the courts. Right. Which means pied-à-terre tax in the next session or maybe more aggressive moves against uh, the brokerage community. Now, by show of hands, how many people in this room were affected negatively by the new rent law? About every hand almost. And how many people went to Albany or called their legislator to advocate? About five people. See, that's a problem. See, I'm, yeah. I mean, activism works, and part of it is our community and Rebney, frankly, dropped the ball in many ways when it came to the last legislative session, um, and we were not vocal enough, and we got rolled over. Did they, did they just not think this was going to pass or something? Or did they underestimate this whole... I mean, Neil might know better. No, I mean, I think the, the bill came together very quickly. Um, it, was, it was over a three-day period. All of a sudden, this was thrown out. There was conversation for a while about it. Um, but, um, but we weren't really a seat at the table, is it fair to say? Well, I, I think what there's, um, and I, I wasn't there, but my understanding is that they basically took these nine different bills, um, originally was supposed to focus on rent stabilization, and they took these nine bills in a very short period of time, no public hearing, and they put them all together, they slapped them all together. So there was no expectation that any one individually would necessarily pass. Now they passed all nine together. But by the way, what happens when you put nine bills that are drafted by different parties together, different definitions, and so on and so forth? What happens when you do that? Right? There's it caused a lot of confusion, different definitions. And then I don't think there was an expectation that the governor, quite frankly, would even sign this bill. And then they added a provision that not only made it uh, these bills specific to rent stabilization, but all rentals in New York. There was never an anticipation that they would draw in every rental in New York, but in fact, that's what they did. And, and by, when you say every rental in New York, you're also talking about co-op proprietary leases? Correct. It's, it covers uh, an individual owner, uh, shareholder renting out their they're subletting their co-op, uh, condo, and so on. Listen, you go for the kill shot when you have it, and they had it. I mean, that's yeah. the bottom line. And it was a kill shot. And I mean, guys, let's just let's just look at what what we've been dealing with here. So since 2015 or so, we've had salt salt deductions. Right. We have the LLCs, right? We have the recent rent regulation. We have the mansion tax, okay? And we have the pied tear tax that's being discussed that potentially may pass. So. And, and, yeah. And I want to add one other thing. There is a proposal to limit the amount that your commission can be on a rental transaction. Right. Oh, Jesus Christ. Right. This is I, all regulatory. Did you guys hear about that? <laughs> okay, I didn't hear about that. I'm losing more hair yeah. as we speak. No, but like, this is all, this is not just regulatory, this is statutory. I mean, this, this is law, right? Like, this is, and this is going to be on the books. Like, the, the, you know, all these shots that we're taking, you can survive one or two of them. Yeah. But you add them up and all of them put together. 
um, is a major disruption in the industry and major problems for all of us in this room. I completely agree. And to Jason's point, one thing I will say, though, is that with respect to that city council bill that tried to limit commissions, Rebney, we, we yes. were there in full force, yes, and there was well over a thousand of us. They closed the gates, they wouldn't let us in, and I was never so proud to be a member or part of Rebney as I was that day. But it that worked, we went to the city. and it worked. Well, it's That's working. My point. That's I right. mean, yeah. But to your point, if, if um, we, this bill is not dead and is still right. being negotiated, and when we have a, a call to action again, um, everyone needs to step up. You can't look to the right and the left and say, oh, my fellow agent is going to go. We all need to go. Not only a thousand of us, but all 14,000 of us need to be at City Hall and to fight this because if they cap our commissions, on rentals, what's next? They're gonna start our sales commissions, and then they're gonna to look to my legal fees, and I'm not gonna be happy. So we cannot stand for limits on commissions. I mean, this, is, this is very important stuff, and I mean, look, when I, when I went there and I listed all these policy things, um, you have to understand this is not the same market as it was four years ago, okay? This market is, is different. There are different things going on. It's, it's, it, the whole environment in terms of investing and buying and owning and affordability is completely different. And when that happens, buyers will sit back and they're going to adjust and they're going to bid down. And that's what you're experiencing right now. So this, in my opinion, is a policy-driven reset. And I want to shift to Ryan really quick here and ask you the important question. Um, where do you, yeah right yeah where do you think we are in this cycle I mean it's been four years we're at the bottom of it is there a potential light at the end of this tunnel I mean I I've, there's three people in every cycle right there's the innovator the imitator and the idiot um, very much we're dealing with a lot of idiots right now so I kind of feel like and now that the media is talking about it because for the last I don't I mean the market really started to change for me anyway when we started to see like a lot of softening and tougher deals in 2015. So for me, I've been dealing with this for you know for both of us yeah. for, for four years, yeah. right? Like in 40, 2012, kind of 11, 12, 13, 14, was like a good run. We had lines for open houses. We were going to best and finals on things. There was you know new developments were selling out really quickly. There was good demand. People were happy about buying real estate. There was a lot going on, even if at the time it felt like it was still hard. Right? In hindsight, it was a good time. And then 2015 happened and things started to get harder, which was a big point for me and my team to start to diversify. So in like 2015, I saw that it was really hard to sell a four bedroom, four, sell like a $4 million two bedroom facing a brick wall in Chelsea. Um, and so we went and opened up an office in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn and started going hard on the Brooklyn market. Um, and that now has gotten a bit tougher. So now we went to Long Island City hard this year and have three big projects and are building a team out there. Um, but now that people are talking about the market being hard, it's taken four years. Now that it's in the New York Times, someone sent me a Bloomberg article this morning that said Manhattan home prices sliding. Like, yeah, for, for the last four, like, where have you been? Yeah. Four, now that people are talking about it, now what we're actually seeing is at our listings, and it always starts at the high end, right? We're, we're doing bigger deals now than I've ever done before in my entire career because people are coming through and they're saying, wow, so the market's really tough. I can get a good deal now, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, you can. Like, I'm gonna make an offer. I'm like, good, do it. Right now. Do, yeah, do it. Great. And they're like, I, I'm gonna make an offer that's gonna be low. And I'm like, okay, scare me. Like, but now those people, like the media is now telling people that New York's you know, for sale. And I think that that's gonna help absorb a lot of this stuff. And then, it, you know, next year politically will be an interesting one. But I think by 2021, we should be 
kind of back in a spot where a lot of inventory has been absorbed, a lot of condo inventory that a lot of condo inventory that hasn't sold, will either convert to rental or just be absorbed in some way. Um, and then we'll be right back to dealing with these people who are like, oh, I missed the bottom. Now, now I don't want to do it because the market's going too high. Right. right. Yeah. Jason, where do you think we are in this cycle? I mean, I, I agree with Ryan. I actually thought we were we were pulling out of it at the end of the summer. We were it was really active and really busy, but but there's a, there's a lot of downward pressure on it right now, both from a, both from a, a governmental oversight, regulatory environment, and also it's just psychology is still negative mm-hmm. and may stay negative till till November 2020, perhaps. Um, but I think as brokers. Like, it's not that good, but like, suck it up, guys. Like, this is our business. Like, figure out a way to do it. You know, like, one thing Ryan, like, Ryan's done commercial building sales. I've done commercial building sales. Like, figure out what's moving. Figure out where you can. Don't sell things that face brick walls. Like, look at what is trading in the market. And unfortunately, you have to put blinders on to a degree and not fret all day in the office with your feet up and go, fuck, the market sucks. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, focus on what sells and go figure out a way to sell it. Okay, so let's let's pivot then, because I got your next question over here for for listing pitches, right? I mean, um, you're very good at your listing pitch. You got the whole spiel down. So so what tips, or a couple of techniques could you tell these guys to do to maybe um, up their game a little bit? Well, I think the thing is, when you go into someone especially cold, and you you can have all the facts and figures and data, but so will the next three people that come right behind you. So I always think that the most important thing is to make a human connection with that person. One quick technique that I do is I always study their books very carefully. The books on people's shelves tell you a whole lot about them. It tells you what topics they're interested, what their politics might be or not be. Um, one quick example, I, I got a townhouse listing recently and the owner had out three Bruce Springsteen books and I'm a big Springsteen fan. I mean. I just, I don't even think we talked about the listing or the price. We just talked about Springsteen for a half hour, then they signed the listing agreement. I mean, Ryan could have come in with a marching band afterwards, and unless he knew the words to Jungle Land, he probably wasn't going to get the listing. I think I lost that one. <laughs> like, those are the kinds of human connections that really help you stand out and make you um, differentiate. And then you, when you have that kind of connection, then you can do business with that person. Ryan, any, uh, any tips for uh, nailing the listing? Yeah, you know, um, I, I I agree with you. It's it's about making that personal connection. Um, but I, I like to sit down with people and ask them as many questions as I possibly can because there's nothing that a seller there's nothing that a seller likes doing more than hearing themselves talk. Yeah. Um, like you have to remember that on any new relationship, right? People love hearing themselves speak. And if you ask them a lot of sorry, this sounds like it's not working. If you ask them a lot of questions. Um, even if you say nothing by the end of kind of that first engagement, you will build trust with that person because they will have heard their own voice for a considerable period of time and it makes them feel good and it makes them like you more, right? So just as like a quick little one of the tip, it's like a psychology human tip. When you go into a listing pitch, don't be annoying, but ask as many questions as you can. Be as engaged and enthusiastic as you can no matter what. Also have to know your stuff, but I see even agents on my team when I'm trading them, they don't ask any questions. They kind of try to talk or they get nervous and so they kind of keep their pitch or their speech and it completely backfires because then all you do is end up doing all the talking and then the seller didn't get to tell you their story about the babies and the bathrooms and why they picked orange for the kitchen. You know, like they, and they want to tell you all about that. So it helps yeah. build trust in a, in us, which is a hard thing to do, right? Not a lot of people trust real estate agents. 
Um, and that's really what I try to go for. Could I go for that trust, go for that authenticity? Um, you know, and then kill them with my smile. Yeah, no, that's the way. I mean, listen, you got to make that connection, right? You got to kill them with a smile, and, and they got to go with who they like, right? I mean, they're probably going to go with who they're like. Um, one thing that I would just say is that sellers, they care about two things, right? They care about price and time. You know, what are you going to get me? Um, how long is it going to take? That's generally what they like to, to see. So, so one tip I would just give, even though I'm not transactional anymore, I was back in a previous life, um, is set their expectations and do yourself a favor. Set their expectations for if you need to get a price reduction down the road. Yeah. Okay. So sit down with them. Prenup. 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 Even <laughs> this though. might not work out. Let me ask you a question. A little audience participation. How many times when you've been on a listing pitch, raise your hand if the answer is yes. How many times on a listing pitch did a seller say, when should I consider reducing my price? Okay, a couple, okay. Most sellers don't like to ask that question, right? Because they just want you to sell it the most money. But deep down inside, they're thinking, when the hell should I consider to do my price? And I think the standard protocol is like, all right, after a month, right? After a month, three, four weeks, we don't have good showings. That's the market's way of saying it's wrong. But the second one, the second price reduction, go go to your local system. I don't care what it is, if it's Urban Digs or something else, go find out what the local two-bedroom, two-bed, Chelsea, co-op, days on market is in that sector. And if it happens to be 82 days, then the answer to the question is, hey, Mr. Seller, um, if we don't have a deal in the first four weeks, that's one price reduction. And if we don't have a deal in day 82, that's when we should probably consider the second price. And if you guys could have that conversation at the first substantive contact, Right, and if that conversation sets you up for a second price reduction on day 82, and that results in you getting a deal, then you use data to have a conversation to manage your expectations and expedite your deal. And that's kind of what this whole thing is all about. So, just wanted to throw that out there. Um, Ryan, I'm going to stick with you one more time. New developments. Um, I just I think that is like the biggest value play right now. I think it's the biggest. I've been on the new development train for about eight months now. Um, I think buyers are getting great deals. It's not surprising to see with the concessions somewhere between 12 and 20 percent off when you look at price cuts and then the concessions. Sure. Um, what do you see going on in new development? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're a buyer of real estate, you want to buy something from someone who really, 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 really wants to sell. And no one wants to sell more than someone who has construction, lenders, investors, equity partners down their back to get their money back. You know, you, you can love another apartment all you want, but if it's a resale and the only reason they're selling is because they had a baby and they want to upgrade their life, like, that person is never going to give you the same type of deal. So, you know, the new development game right now for buyers is a pretty good one. And it's a good one that you can actually, you know, most buyers are winning it. Now, it's not true for every new development, right? right? There's still lots of new development projects, and I have a few of them, not all of them, sadly, but a few of them that are, that are in great locations that are really well-priced, but we're really not negotiating. Um, and then we have some, a lot, that are in uh, other locations that are saturated with other inventory, and we have to negotiate a lot, right? We have a lot. And, what I also try to show buyers and you know, and try to show sellers as well is just use history, whether it's urban digs data or, or whatever else you use, and just say, listen, this is where pricing work was last year, a year before, and a year before. Right? This is where it was in 1994. Like this is so you know, so you know what you're buying. Here's the history of the marketplace. Here's the kind of deals we were doing five years ago. Here's what you can get now. Um, and it never hurts to make an offer and just to present an opportunity because you just don't know. You know, and most real estate agents, especially the ones on the sell side, are so nervous about getting fired, they won't push. You know, most of my business, like the way I built my business was being really like the second and third agent on a lot of new development projects. 
And it wasn't until maybe four years ago that I started doing ground up new developments because people didn't think about me that way. But I would, you know, developers would reach out and say, listen, my, my, my agents aren't selling. I need someone who's going to be aggressive. And it wasn't the agent's fault. They were so nervous about being fired that they ended up getting fired anyway because they just weren't aggressive. And I would go into all of my developers and all of my clients and I'd tell them to their face, just so you know, I do not work for you. I work for the deal, 100%. If you're hiring me, we're getting this sold. I'm not gonna make you feel good. I'm not gonna give you fluffy feedback. I'm not gonna tell you they loved it, but they're gonna come back for a second showing if they're really not. Like if your apartment sucks and we need to sell it for a million dollars less, I'm gonna tell you that and you can cry and I will hold you dearly. <laughs> but like I have no time to waste. And you'd be surprised, like the last couple years in the new development game is that works really, really well. Like brutal, blunt honesty because it, it costs way too much to hold. So if you're a buyer, you're working with buyers right now, new development is an amazing place to get great deals. Right. Um, and you see it. Like we're launching a building tonight. I am the second broker. Um, it was called the Chamberlain on the Upper West Side. Quadrant was the developer. We renamed it West End at 87th because we did a poll of people and said, hey, what do you think about the Chamberlain? And they, they thought that was someone that worked at a church. Um, <laughs> and so we gave it a name that would tell people where it is. Uh, we adjusted price points and we're paying all monthly so you live for free for five years. Right? Three bedrooms start at three and a half million bucks. Our comp at a lot of much bigger buildings are $2 million higher than that. Um, you know, Four bedrooms start at $4 million for new construction. The comps are much, much higher than that. It's a great a great deal. And you're also addressing the biggest problem that people had the last time it was on the which market. Monthlies. Which monthlies. Yeah. The monthlies were really high there. And so that's what Smart, what Ryan, I think, is doing is he's addressing that with, with what they're offering now. I've been trying not to get it, right? I, I go in there being as honest as possible. And I was like, listen, your prices are too high. Your monthlies are too egregious. If I'm going to take this on, you need to pay everyone's monthlies for five years. And they said, that's a lineup that, that's going to cost us $30 million. I'm like, you shouldn't have built the building. Like, so what do you want from me? And but I gave them the complete strategy, everything we would do, and said, we're the ones who are gonna get it done, but this is what I need from you if we're gonna partner on this. They went and interviewed everybody else, and I just wrote it all, and then they came back and they said, I think we have to go with you. Like, unfortunately, I think you do. Right. <laughs> and it's like opposite day. You do the opposite of what you can do. You're yeah. gonna win it, you know? Um, yeah, Jason, I just, you know, I want you know, <laughs> the idea, two, two thoughts that uh, particularly the idea and talking to agents so much, which is what I do all day long, is I, I frequently stop talking. Listen. Yeah. Listen. And the other thing, and, and I think this is really important, you're so right. I frequently say, you don't pay me to tell you what you want to hear. You pay me to tell you what you need to hear. And whether, you know, and that's the truth. And so I think as a body, you agents need, you need to be able to do that. You're not getting paid. To, to sugarcoat things. Be honest with people, tell them the truth. And I think that usually helps, and it usually works out, and it, it helps the message when you say, again, you're not paying me to, to, to just be a cheerleader. That's not what you're paying me to do. And I think it's really important that you do that. Right. It's also causing a lot of, a lot of that's what is part of the problem with the market, is that people are just listing things for pricing that just doesn't make sense today. They're letting it sit there for six months and yeah. a year because you know, listing agents don't want to get fired, and so they'll just tell the sellers whatever they want to hear, and they want to have the listing because maybe they'll get directs and it looks good on their page, yeah. um, and they'll just keep it up there. And then it becomes an active comp issue where sellers will then say, Well, they're on the market for this, and it's like, Well, 
but they're not going to sell there, and right. it's this thing, it's comfort, and it just it hurts us more than anything. And they'll they'll drink the Kool Aid too because they don't want to feel like they had it wrong. They'll yeah. go out to the other brokers and they'll try to defend the price. And I mean, it's insane. You can't have an argument. I just had it this morning on my way over here with someone who's four million dollars overpriced on a townhouse on the upper on East Sixty Seventh Street. The pricing is ridiculous, but they're sitting there defending it. You can't talk to someone like that. Um, it's just going to sit. And it, it ruins it for the rest of us, too, by the way, because what Ryan said, because the active comp is a killer. Yeah. And, I mean, look, the market dictates price. And if something is not selling, it's, it's either a product problem, a price problem, or a market problem. We happen to have a market problem and price problems. Yeah. Um, usually it's not a product problem, but um, most of the time, if something is not selling, it's the price. So. Um, Neil, let's, uh, we're getting towards the end here. Um, I want to ask you the environment right now, the environment for buyers and sellers um, from a legal perspective, as well as banks. I know you do some business with banks. Is there anything you can tell us what's happening there? So from a bank perspective, things are unbelievable. I mean, interest rates are just historically at lows, but they've been for so long, but we can't, we cannot close them fast enough. We are so inundated with, with work, which is great. Um, refis is it's tremendous um, and so long may they wait um, right with respect to purchase and sale we're also we're busy um, I can tell you that uh, there is no easy deal uh, just every deal is difficult to do and we're busy in the one to two million dollar range I would say more than anything um, but it just feels like we're just um, the amount of work that we have to do to get them to the finish line uh, is is just um, very right. dramatic, and, right. and so it's good to be busy. I'm really happy about that. On the purchase and sales side, it just it feels like there's nothing easy anymore. Is there anything? Is there is there, is there anything agents can do for buyers or sellers to prepare them for a smoother legal transaction, knowing that that it's it's a bumpy market and the last thing you need is a bumpy legal process. Sure. So um, a couple of things. I mean, it, it sounds, and I'm sure most people do this, but you know, be ready for. Uh, for that offer. So build, make sure your team is in place well before you have an accepted offer. Your mortgage person, your attorney, um, if you're gonna do an inspection, be prepared for that. All the due diligence materials, folks, you know that I'm gonna be asking for an offering plan, financials, the ability to go review the minutes and all of those things. It should not be a surprise, but yet, um, and I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but you'd be shocked at, at when we, you know, we have an accepted offer and now it's like you're shocked that I'm asking you for these things. So. Um, so those, just be prepared and set expectations. Um, again, don't tell folks what they want to hear. Tell them the realities, and because that's what we're going to do, and it makes life a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. And time is a deal killer when it comes to um, the attorney process. And I mean, if it's not done in three, four, five days, then you got something going on there. So you need to make sure that happens in three, four, five days, especially in this market. Um, okay. Last question for for Jason and Ryan here. Um, agent business growth tips. Um, can you guys mention one or two things that you think these agents could be doing today or even changing about their business today that would make them more money in one or two years from now? Any general business growth tips? Two, two things are a lot of brokers go to um, broker events, which are great for education. Uh, but you know, this is New York City. There are four nights, there are four events a night that are good to go to for, for networking purposes. Uh, I think you just you pound the pavement and don't leave, so you've given out all the business cards in your wallet. And that's one. And the second thing I would do is, is very highly targeted, thought out mail for me works very well. Um, it takes a, a long time to put something like that together, but it's worth the effort. Direct mail. So, so, so it's like very, very like hyper targeted. Direct right, but the farming, just to be clear, farming, you're not gonna see an instant gratification. Uh, so like for example, if you do your research and you notice that 
two bedroom, two bath, the G line in this building will move in an average days of 35 days in the market and everything else is 122 days because you've seen the last four sales, you gotta hit that G line. Mm. I mean, very, very targeted mail. Interesting. That works, and that can work uh, within days. Right, gotcha. So, so you, you look, look at the quickest selling units. In well, the that's just one example. There are lots yeah. of different ways to do it, but it, it, it does work. But okay, it just takes you. a lot of, it's not just like, hey, let's just mail to like East 58th Street. Let's see what happens. And, and for those people that just do a mailing once or twice a day. Yeah, it's a waste of space. Okay. Waste of space. Ryan. You should write a book called Hit That G Line. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things I could say right now. And I'm that just <laughs> so excited about that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, I agree with both of those, right? Um, uh, you've got to meet as many people as you possibly can, right? Every single day. Like, that's a rule in my office. You have to meet as, you have to, I mean, I don't, if I don't like, I don't like people if they don't do it, but um, you have to meet like five new people every day if you can. You know, you, like, this room for me is meeting new people, right? Because you just never know. And the best deals I've ever done have come through the craziest degrees of separation where it all started, where I went to that damn thing I didn't want to go to because I was tired. But I met three people and I got their information and he knew someone and she introduced me to this and then I fall and then blah, 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 blah. So if you're not out there meeting people every day, then this is a people business, right? Real estaters are widgets. Like, I, I, don't, I don't build houses. You know, I'm not a developer, I'm not a contractor, I'm not a plumber, I'm not an architect, I'm not an interior designer. Real estate is just a widget. Right, we are in until these homes figure out how to buy and sell themselves to each other, which I think Zillow is trying to figure out how to do. You know, then it's then it's just about the people and just about kind of building those relationships. But I'd say too, you know, the market's strange enough that I think it's about diversifying kind of what you sell. If what you've been selling that worked well for the last couple of years isn't selling as much this year, you know, like like you said, right? Don't complain about it being a tough market. There are other markets that are moving. Like I went. I went, I went to Bedside, Brooklyn. I opened up an office in, in Bedside, and the Wall Street Journal wrote an article against me about it. But I went there, and I was like, listen, there's good market share. Built up a team really quickly, and started doing you know, one to two million dollar investment sale properties in Bedside, Brooklyn in 2015, because I saw that the market in the city was gonna be slow, and I didn't wanna hurt my volume or income. I wanted to sell as much as possible. And it's been great business. From that came other new developments, and other people that we met who then do things back in the city, and, it's kind of that all over the place. I'd also say, you know, focus, there's cameras everywhere here. Um, I do a, a vlog, right, on, on YouTube. Um, I, my vlogger was detained. He could not get into this building. Um, there's, there's big rules here. Um, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, you know, it's, I, I built my business um, uh, with a lot of help from a television show on Bravo starting in 2012. I'm, I'm totally open about that. It really, really helps in terms of my ability to open doors. But the last two years have not been defined by Bravo for me. They've really been defined by YouTube and the power of YouTube, and it is free. Like, you'll actually get paid to put stuff on YouTube if you do it. Um, and to put out more content and to get to know people, like, we sell things now through YouTube and through Instagram. But you have to do the content. You have to focus on it. You have to do it. And people are searching now through Instagram and through YouTube to purchase things because it's a visual media. Before they go to Zillow, Street Easy, and your website and Google, it's crazy. And that's where the market's going as the buyers get younger and younger and younger. Um, so focus on that. And then I think, oh, that's my wife trying to FaceTime with the baby. Um, uh, hold on, let's say hi. Hi, hi, baby. She wanted to call somebody, so. She wanted to call, okay. Zena, say hi to everyone in the room. <laughs> hey, Zena. Hi, guys. <laughs> 
that being a lawyer, just a lawyer, but I started my firm, we're going to be 25 years in January. I literally had no clients when I started my firm, and my partner and I, we decided we were going to have a breakfast, lunch, or dinner every day. It didn't matter what industry they were in, just to meet people. But most people think that uh, people are just successful because they're successful, but if you listen to these two guys who are unbelievably successful, what are they saying? They're working every day. They're not successful by accident. They are successful because they continue to do this every day. And I think that's the, that's the biggest takeaway here is that you, it doesn't matter how successful you are, every day you have to work it. Every day you have to work it. Great, great stuff. All right, guys, we've got two audience questions. I'm going to let you go right here, okay? Um, number one, um, this, I, think, I think this resonates with a lot of people out there. So how should price adjustments be dealt with in today's buyer's market? I have a one-bedroom listed. It's priced approximately 625 I price slightly lower than the other um, active listings and market comps, and prices have been adjusting to my listing price. It's been on the market for eight, I'm sorry, five weeks. I seem to have interest, but no offers. How much time would you recommend sitting in the market for adjusting this price? Easy one. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in search box pricing. Yeah. Look at any listing that I have, I don't have anything at six twenty-five. Like that's 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 not a, that's not a. Um, a search box, right. like, and I tell every seller this, right? You got to be at five ninety nine, and it's just because everybody starts on their phone now. It's at every price point. Like, if I'm priced at, if I'm priced at eleven million dollars, I'm dealing with someone that is basically forced to look up to sixteen million bucks, right? Like, there's so then it's just imagine any shopping experience. If you're shopping, you think you're in your budget, but then you see really pretty shoes over there that are a little bit more expensive. All of a sudden, what you thought you could afford. Yeah, it looks nice, but eh, those look really nice. And that's what Street Easy's done to us. So you've got to price within search boxes, no matter what, so that you can be a heavyweight fighter in a lightweight fight. Otherwise, at 625, I'm a lightweight fighter in a heavyweight fight because people are forced to look up to 700. And in that $700 bracket, right, $700,000 bracket, I've got things that were at 800 and 900 last year that haven't sold, that have now come down. So the competition's too, too, too tough, right? You got to price within those search brackets, and I mean, I would recommend that they adjust that to five ninety nine right now. And the comps are probably the items are active comps, which are probably highest sitting. Right, and I guess my only um, answer to this would be um, again number one, the first price reduction should be with that four week mark. All right, if you're in the market for four weeks, you don't have a price uh, a deal in place or traffic slow. I think there's an automatic price reduction that needs to happen because that's enough time for the market to tell you that your price is wrong. The second price reduction, again, go look in your system and go look at what the what, what the Chelsea one-bedroom co-op market is doing. If it happens to be 82 or 94 or 102, that's your clue as to where that where that second price reduction should come in. Um, yeah, I'll also say, because you know, we get to deal with this a lot, uh, there's other things you can do to game the system, right? So yes, it's price, but you know, if your seller isn't, sorry, if your seller is, hello, if your seller isn't, um, uh, you know, amenable to a price reduction right away, but you, you're going to lead into it and build into it. You know, you can uh, remember everything starts on the phone for the most part, right? Everything starts on the computer. It's all about those thumbnails. So you can take the apartment off the market for three days. 
go off market for three days. Anyone that's that saved that listing, that likes it, is then gonna email you and say, oh, did it sell what happened? All of a sudden, now I have a showing because I took it off the market. Right? You can readjust one photo. If you don't have a night photo, go take one night photo. Now have that be your main thing, make your, 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 your lead photo, and people will come through and say, oh, I didn't know this listing was out there. It's the first time I've seen it. Just because they like that photo better it has nothing to do with the real estate. So figuring out little ways to kind of play with the system goes a long way. Pricing within search boxes, kind of switching those photos around, even changing the description around. You'll get people to to re-engage. That, that's interesting. That's really good stuff. All right, second question. I think it's for a good one for Jason. Um, what do you think the New York State legislators will do in January on the Tenant Protection Act? Um, will they close loopholes? Will they repeal anything, or potentially nothing at all? So it won't happen until uh, June because um, January through April will be the for the budget. So nothing will happen immediately, but it'll be talked about. So this will be like an April through June conversation where things will, until then it's just posturing. April through June is when things will get real gotcha. um, with this bill. And um, I honestly, I think that if, if our community responds the way we've responded to the city council legislation, I think we can have a much more favorable outcome. If we, if we sit back and are playing defense, there's a really good chance that we'll get rolled over. Yeah, and I mean, just think about this for a second, guys. The policy's already happened, right? It's already done. So if you happen to be one of those buyers that buys when this market's depressed from policy, and next April, May, or June, that policy is changed, reversed, tweaked, whatever, in favor of the way it was before, you should start to see a, a reset in the market. I mean, it'll only get tweaked. Just like rent, uh, vacancy decontrol is not going to come back. Um, right. That's gone. But I think our market can survive that. It's the other elements that you layer on top of it right. that where it becomes very problematic. Great right? stuff. Guys, thank, thank you so much for coming here. So the, the way, yeah, I mean, you probably work through your managers and, and your firm and also revenue, but if you, as an individual, I mean, you're, you're an independent contractor, you should contact your local state assembly person, your local state senator, um, and uh, your local city council person on the city council bill. Revney can help with that. And yeah, and Rev, if you can, uh, Revney has a very good team there that can help uh, direct you to the right person too. Awesome stuff, guys. Thank you so much. We get a round of applause for you guys right here. We're going to move on from 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 here.